0: You've probably heard a lot about Bitcoin lately, whether it's on the news, online, or because your weird mate Steve keeps banging on about how much his is worth. There's a lot of noise and information, and it can be hard to know where to begin. Coin Corner cuts through all the confusion with an easy to use site and a friendly customer support team on hand to help Coin Corner is a quick and easy way to buy Bitcoin in the UK. Visit coincorner.com and enter code FILMBTC at sign up for some free sats or small amounts of Bitcoin to get you started. Coin Corner.
1: The Pard Fix Network.
0: Hello and welcome to episode 229 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking. From indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them, and how to try not to fuck it up in a very, very humble opinion. Today on the show, I am chatting with screenwriter and producer Jennifer Cooney, and producer and director Tracy Wren, who made the fantastic indie film Rainbow's End. I sit down with the girls and we talk all about how they scripted the film, how they learnt from editing, what co-directing was like, why you should always storyboard and what it was like working together as a scriptwriter and a director. Jennifer talks about how she learned to be a better scriptwriter by being on set. Tracy Wren, the director, talks about working with actors and why directing is blocking. And they go into detail about their distribution profile and how they got Rainbow's End onto Les Flicks for their online release. They also give you some amazing advice about filmmaking all that is to come on this week's episode of the filmmakers podcast i am giles alderson and i am currently directing my fifth feature film at the moment it is called if you don't know already if you're not a regular listener to this podcast it is called Wolves of War and it is a World War II feature film starring Ed Westwick, Rupert Graves, Matt Willis, Max Hildebrandt, Eva Magyar, Anastasia Martin, Sam Gittings and Jackson Booz along with many many other amazing talented people and I have to say I've been blessed with my crew. I mentioned it last week, but I have been. Not only my cast, quite frankly incredible, but my crew. I've, I've really loved filming this one. I mean really loved. I, I got so much out of the others. of Arthur and Merlin and The Dare and Stranger in Our Bed and World of Darkness. But this one, I don't know, I've really enjoyed getting up in the morning. That sounds strange when you have no sleep and you're absolutely knackered, but I've wanted to wake up. I've wanted to get to set haven't forced myself into the shower or forced myself out of bed which is what happened on Arthur and Merlin but that doesn't surprise me because on that film it was raining every day as I've pointed out many, many times it got to you it was really difficult every morning knowing it was chucking down with rain and you had to go out and get soaked and try and make a movie in the rain when it's really difficult people don't want to stand there in the rain while you set up the camera and wonder where your next shot's going to be when it's raining and suddenly the mud's moved it and the location's changed and it's all new and you've got to find it on your feet it's really hard, it is whereas on this one i've really enjoyed playing i've enjoyed coming to set, even when it has been raining you know it's that thing isn't it you you can't appreciate the sun unless you've had rain and i definitely say that was the case on this one because some of the days have been really sunny and i ain't complaining believe me when you're on set and it's really sunny it's really difficult because you've got to block out block out the sun but it makes for a better set And people don't mind spending time lying on the grass while you set something up or having a chat, having a cup of tea or a biscuit or whatever they're doing when they're waiting for you or your team to do something. And that's really important. Same for the crew, the wonderful makeup team doing touch-ups or the costume. We don't mind waiting when it's sunny, you don't mind. I think it's hugely important that you don't run before you can walk. You know, I feel sorry for those directors who get massive movies when they first start for the first feature. It's been a joy for me to work my way through the muddy waves of the indie filmmaking world and the difficulties and the struggles and how you've got to cheat things and make things work and the compromise you constantly have to do as an indie filmmaker and if you're jumping straight into a big studio feature well you're not really compromising you're kind of getting what you asked for and therefore the pressure is huge on your shoulders. There's no excuses now. None. It's your fault. People are just going to blame you. And even though they blame you on an indie film anyway, the director gets the shit, the actors get the shit in the reviews. But at the same time, you're, do, you're doing the best you can with what you have in front of you. And that's all you can ask for. And that's why it's that's why it's incredible. And that's why I'm so glad I've learned from the ground up. And even though the day I was a studio movie, it was a very, very low budget indie studio movie for what a studio movie normally is. And from there, yeah, I picked my way through it. And now I'm at the point where I'm loving being on set, more than ever before. Before I loved being a director, I loved working with actors, but there's so many problems with it. Now, you know, when you've got a great team around you and there's an amazing production team putting out fires before they get to you, well, you're in a brilliant position now to just be creative, to be the director, to work with the actors and the camera team to create what you want to create. But if no one's putting out those fires for you, you've got to deal with those fires. That's where it gets very difficult. So my advice to you, if this is possible, when you're going out there to make your indie film, is have the best team around you. And you can do that by asking. Find the best production manager. Find the best producer. Find the best that you can get and hound them as to why they should do your project. Don't settle for anything less. Don't settle for someone who isn't good enough. It's too hard. It's really important for you to do that on your first film, second film. Just honestly push as hard as you can to get the best. That's where you need to spend the money then. That's where you spend any money you might have when you're making your indie films. Because at the end of the day, people will blame you. It's your fault. And it is. You have to hold your hands up. You have to take responsibility because it is your project and you employed these people. Um, I jotted some notes down uh, while I was on set. Just things that I wanted to talk to you guys about that might help you, you know, when you're going to make your films or just things you can relate to. And one thing I've noticed is when you, when you write the script or when you rewrite the script as a director and you put your director's vision on it, the locations that you write down aren't actually where you shoot. They're just an idea in your head. It's a fantasy. You make it up. Your mind goes to these wonderful places of other war films. So for me, you know, I'm imagining Saving Private Ryan. You know, if it's a sci-fi film, you're imagining Aliens or Terminator. Well, actually, good luck with that. Your locations won't be that. So whatever you write in that script suddenly becomes gospel. It becomes real. It's there. It's fact on the page in front of you. And everyone tries to recreate that, but you don't get that. You get a field (laughs) rather than, you know, you want the Terminator end of world madness, but you don't, you get a field. And that is really important to know when you're writing the scripts to be realistic within what you think you can get. And as soon as you find the locations you're actually shooting at, change the script instantly. Go back to the script and rewrite it to fit those locations. Because if you don't, when you get to set and you're suddenly doing it that day, you go, oh my God, we're doing that this morning. Oh, right, damn, Uh, where were the actors gonna be? Oh, it's a totally different room. Because you will get there and things will change. Every day, something will change. We did that constantly on Wolves of War. Okay, this location, let's just move it here because this is better, this is more beautiful. Stu the DP will come in and go, why don't we shoot in this room? Look at it, it's better. Great, okay, but that means the door's different and they need to come around that side. Cool, fine, you can adapt on the day, but I tell you what, if you've got a big field and that's what you've got, write it into the script you've got now. And the other thing I want to say, I'll save some of these till next week, but the other thing is vital. This you take with you whenever you are on set. It's the biggest piece of advice I could ever give you. Have, good shoes i am serious i don't think i sat down more than five minutes a week on this film and even then that might have just been lunch and then you get asked questions and you're doing other things i'm on my feet all the time stu white the dp was probably on his feet even more than me this says everything you have to have good shoes and by that i mean waterproof by that i mean comfortable because if you can't stand up your feet are killing you That's really difficult when you're standing on your feet all day. I don't know if any of you have ever worked in a shoe shop or in a a cafe and you're stood in those bloody shoes and your feet are killing you. This is what it's like on set. So I'm telling you and warning you and preparing you. Have good shoes, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Right, uh, I will give you some more tips and tricks I've learned uh, from making Wolves of War next week. I've had a blast. It's amazing. I've got one more day to go and that is today. If you're listening, I'm recording yesterday obviously this so tuesday is my last day so if you're listening today uh this will be on our last day and we've got a big plane scene to do a world war ii bomber plane so wish us luck with that I can't wait. I'm so excited to get into the edit of this film. Uh, I hope you are well. I hope you are making films. And I hope you're enjoying this podcast. We've had some amazing guests. And Tobias Veez, our brilliant new editor, has been doing a great job while I've been away. And he's been getting my intros from the middle of nowhere and terrible email reception. He's doing brilliantly and putting them up. So shout out to you, Tobias Viza. Do follow him on Twitter and say you love him and say thank you for doing a great job. His Twitter handle is at V's Tobias. A bit like Nora Lakos last week. It's Lacos Nora and Tobias is Austrian. So I imagine that's the reason he's done V's Tobias. Tobias can't respond. <laughs> so anyway do follow him and we have some shout outs for amazing listeners i did some last week but we have some more you are all amazing but here are some people who gave us extra love on twitter or uh, our instagram page which is at filmmakers podcast on twitter is at filmmakers pod uh, and do write to us there if you want to come on the show if you like this uh, then please get in touch lynn marie swan neil Chordia, paul doherty Martin Neely, Chloe Chasmuda, Chris Hughes, and Peregrine Kitchener Fellows. Chloe Chudasama, um, she's a producer from Nocturnal Pictures. Her film she's making with Leroy Kincaid, who's the director, which is called The Last Right, Uh, will be out soon and both Chloe and Leroy will be on the podcast. Oh, and do check out our website, thefilmmakerspodcast.com, where we have a back catalogue of all our podcasts. So if you just want to focus on screenwriting, then just type in screenwriting in the search bar and all the screenwriters will come up, including Oscar and BAFTA winners. Or if you just want directing, do the same and you'll get a whole host. Big old list there, and the same for producing and any other crew members, etc. We have had on. FilmmakersPodcast.com And obviously a huge shout out to our Patreon top tier subscribers Marley J. Monroe and Kevin Pyebus And to all the new Patreon listeners, welcome And if you haven't joined our Patreon yet, please do Why not come support us? Because we have special bonus episodes And this week, Toby and the team of Hugh and Callie Have put up a new episode with... The last two weeks guests, Nora Lacos and Carolina Gropper, and they've put them together, two amazing female filmmakers. So do go check out our Patreon page where we have loads of bonuses for you to learn more about filmmaking and what we do. So uh, that's our Patreon that's our shout outs. And if you like this podcast, tell your friends because that is how we grow. We have some amazing guests for you coming up. I will reveal them very soon, but for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy our episode with Tracy Wren. Director and producer and Jennifer Cooney, screenwriter and producer of Rainbow's End and Joy. Or should I say End Joy? Rainbow's End Joy. No? Here it is. Hello. Hello. Are you two both in the same city? Are you nearby each other? Have you seen each other during lockdown?
1: Not at all. Well, I'm in Santa Monica, California.
0: Oh, okay. Nice.
1: I'm in northeastern Pennsylvania.
0: Oh, okay. We're on
1: opposite sides of the country. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> totally. So you've not seen each other during this lockdown at all?
1: No, not? no. We haven't seen each other since we finished shooting, really. Wow. A lot on Zoom, though. Yes.
0: A lot on Zoom. I think that's the, sometimes the issue, isn't it, as well? We see each other on Zoom a lot, and we can get that Zoom tiredness that sort of ekes into us. Have you found releasing a movie in the sort of COVID times, you know, on Zoom, having meetings like that? How how How's that process been for you both?
1: For me, it's been great because, you know, the the saying was always, you need to be in LA to, to make it in the business. And I've always lived in Pennsylvania. So for me, this is just kind of one up to that capability of connecting with people, no matter where you are. Um, mm. especially, you know, th- going through the editing process, working with the composer, the composer was in Canada, the editor was in Chicago. So instead of, you know, traveling all over the place all the time, it was able very easy. It's was able to just sit down and pop on zoom and and, mm-hmm. it, and it really changed the way that we distributed it as well with everything being shut down. And so when we found Les Flicks, it was just the perfect pairing. Yeah,
0: no, absolutely. I, I, I totally agree. As much as I reckon this film would have done really nicely in cinemas, you could have done a few select cinemas. I could see how it could have worked. But Definitely. at the same time, you know, you've got an audience who are sitting at home mm-hmm. waiting for movies like this as well, right? So it's almost like here we are, this is perfect timing in some way. Uh, Is that how you felt, Tracy, a little bit as well, that it was perfect timing or would you have preferred a different setup for this one?
2: No, I I think it was just right. And um, I do think with the lockdown that I know I've been watching more movies and concerts and doing a lot of reading. uh, So I think other people are too, from what I can tell. And I, I think it's a great a venue for the release of a movie an online it's it's because it's reaching the audience that wants to see this movie it's really specific and that's what's so great about it i don't think we'd have that in a theatrical release
0: yeah although it would
2: be fun uh, and maybe we still can do as you say Mm -hmm. a few select cinemas and it's been in a couple of festivals too Mm -hmm. and maybe it can be in more as well
0: (laughs) yeah i think so I think when when it, when it when this sort of, it ends a little bit, I think there are going to be festivals and this is obviously a perfect festival film anyway. But I think it can slot nicely. You know, you can now have your release and then you can go, cool, those who liked it, come and watch it on a big screen, right?
2: Yeah, as long as that we, we can find festivals who will take a film that has already been released. If yes. That, and I know there are some. Mm. They're, they're, they're out there.
0: Yeah. No, I've had that in the past. There was a, one of my movies that came out in america before it came out in the uk and the uk festival the big one we wanted to put it in they went yeah we we'll have it oh we have just found out it came yeah it came out in the u.s and we're like oh, really that's going to stop mm. us really yeah. And, said, yeah and they do and it's such a mm-hmm. shame
2: and then Netflix would have to agree to that too and and i i don't know what their policy is mm. but they might say yes
0: yeah we can always ask i think that's it as filmmakers that's isn't it what we do we just ask the more we ask the more we get right you know that's I totally feel that way Um, and Rainbow's End is is a really gorgeous film and and you were talking there about the niche sort of market of something like this and it is very niche as well though I actually I'm not not sure about that but I I think you can certainly make it for a niche audience but I think this goes much Mm -hmm. bigger than that which is why I love it but it is important to know who your audience is when you're making a movie right and this does Mm -hmm. fit into that niche box was that always the plan with rainbows End? then to go look this is what we're making this is the target audience let's keep pushing through on this how did it how did it first start how did it come about in the first place
1: well in 2015 i got an email from one of my screenwriting friends from france and he said hey i i saw a job posting on stage 32 for a lesbian Mm -hmm. family drama and i you know i thought of you So I just sent sent my number to this guy. I didn't have anything to show for it. I didn't have a writing sample. I didn't have a list of awards. I just said, I think I'm the person you're looking for. Here's my phone number. Never thinking again about it. And that night I was like I talking to my wife. I'm like, oh, I applied for a screenwriting job today. Oh, okay. well, you know, everybody gets their first rejection. You know, that was the conversation. And as we're having the conversation, the phone rings and it's a, a Chicago unknown number. And I was like, oh, my God, this is him. And I answered and we talked for forty five minutes and mm-hmm. I immediately knew exactly what he wanted to do with his story and his characters. And it was just it had already come to me and it was just the perfect pairing of, of creative voices at that time. And, you know, that's Joe Orlandino. So he's the one that has credit mm-hmm. for the original story. So that was about mm-hmm. six years ago, I guess, at this point. And and Tracy came on. Um, prior to Tracy, how long before filming did you come on? Was it about a year and we worked on the the script together? Mm -hmm.
2: A little less than a year. I think it was in the late summer that we really started working hard on the script and we filmed in March the following year. So Mm -hmm. yeah, we did a lot of tweaking and I think we dropped the character and maybe a scene or two and combined scenes and, right up to last minute we kept doing that but it, it just got you know better and better so
0: that's always the way isn't it it's so important to constantly be honing your script especially mm-hmm. when you're finding locations that change things or an actor change things or you mm-hmm. know you know, I, you know i noticed at the beginning you didn't show a lot of the child and i thought maybe you'd taken out some scenes with that but maybe we can get on to that as well um how did you go from uh, sort of going okay cool you know you, Jen you've got the script now you've gone away and wrote that how did you develop it how did you actually go okay well you know Joe's come up with a story did you then piecemeal it together? How did you, what's your process when you're a screenwriter? Did you put notes upon the wall? Do you just stick everything out there and do a vomit draft and then come back to it? How did you do it?
1: I honestly wish that I had the capability to do a vomit draft. Like <laughs> right. I, okay. there's so much for me that goes into it. Prior to that, I work with a gigantic whiteboard and just write ideas all over it. And I use, mm-hmm. you know, index cards and um, just tons of notes on notepad. I really like writing down my notes for some, it like slows down my thought process. But for me, something that I wrote on the whiteboard really early on was this is a film about war because you have this child who can't be anything other than he is. And you have this woman, Hannah, who can't be anything other than she is. And they Mm -hmm. they're both right in their own way. And they both see the other as wrong. And how do you rectify that? So that was kind of a guiding light for me throughout writing the whole thing and, and also reflected in Hannah and Jules' relationship because they have very different parenting styles, lifestyles, they um, they really just approach life in a fundamentally different way. So it was all about how do you rectify contrasts and differences between people. And, and I think that really comes across when you pay attention to the characters in the film
0: no it totally does was the times when like say what do you do when you're struggling because the screenwriters out there listening you go okay well you know I've got a scene or I don't know how to write this scene you you seems like you go through it brilliantly with a fine tooth comb before you even sort of almost put things down and I love the idea of a huge whiteboard with everything on it I think that's great visually it's really exciting do you find you have certain times when you write as well what's what, like you say is there a process or is you just sit down and Go for it.
1: No, it's really whenever the spirit moves me, sometimes it's as mm-hmm. soon as I wake up, sometimes it's right before I go to sleep. I really just go about my day and make sure that I'm always making time to write. And the thing I love about the whiteboard is that you can sit back and look at it all. And just kind of let the different pieces marinate and bounce off of each other differently and for me it's definitely always about the character i don't write plot driven it's always well the next plot point can't happen until we figure out where the character is going and why so for me it's constantly Mm -hmm. asking why the character is doing what they're doing and why they're going where they're going
0: yeah which is super and and really lovely sort of way that i feel to do it because sometimes you can just sort of stick Chuck things out and then go, oh, I'm lost. I'm stuck. How do I now get from into the next scene? Uh," And you can, you know, suddenly stop and not doing it. At at that point, did you know, obviously, did you have producers on board at that point? You know, because I know RB from Stage 32 is one of your producers. Had it come through that system that they're making it it's already happening, or is this, you writing this on spec at this point with the hope that it'll get made?
1: You know, I never doubted for one second that the script was going to turn into a film. And I think that's one mm. of the most important factors in getting a film made, is never doubting its final manifestation. Nice. And, you know, Joe Orlandino is such a driven producer, and he and I just clicked so early on that it was like of course this is going to be a movie so there was never wondering about it and that was really a blessing
0: yeah absolutely but for you then tracy when you came on board you know that point like say you carried on developing the script but did you feel that this was ready to be made you know what what was the process when you first got it how did it come to you
2: well um i had met a joe Uh, a couple of years previously at the American Film Market in Santa Monica. And uh, he, we, you know, chatted for 10 minutes and he said, I'd love to, you know, do a project with you. And then it was, you know, we kept in touch, but about a year later he called and said, I think I've got one. And so he sent me the script. By the time that phone call happened, you know, it was going ahead already. Uh, I think they must've had some of the budget already in place they had most of the locations, which there are only a few, but they had the main locations. And then it was a matter of settling on the, you know, when we were going to do it and casting, which Joe really did most of the casting. And Mm. he was trying to find the right person for the lead. You know, There were certain things he had to get into place. And definitely by January, it was all in place. And You know, I just kept saying, well, I'll believe it when I see a plane ticket. (laughs) And then there was a plane ticket. And then I thought, well, I'm going to Chicago. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'll believe it when we, the first time we say action and, you know, it just, it just, it it blossomed and it was great.
0: Isn't that fascinating for us as sort of directors, creators, filmmakers, that we we do... It's almost like, yeah, no, it sounds wonderful. And people talk a good game, and you go, yeah, I'll believe it when I get to that stage. And then you get there and you go, I'll believe it when I get there. And you know, it's just what it's in us, right? Because you know, we've been Mm -hmm. burnt so many times. And
2: yeah, it wasn't that I was expecting that, but I just, you know, it's just the the my practical nature. That little voice in there says, well, this is good. This is good. This is good. And then if the rest happens, that'll be fantastic. And it did. (laughs)
1: So. <laughs>
0: absolutely which is lovely let's we'll, we'll, let's jump back to Remo's end in a little bit It'd be really interesting to talk about how you both got there tracy when you made your first feature i mean did you uh, sort of what i can see is you co-directed is that right you you worked with other people yeah mm-hmm. great Do so let's talk about that because that first time is always fascinating for any filmmakers mm-hmm. making your first is always the <gasps> right we've done it now and you guys have done it mm-hmm. and it's you know obviously tracy a couple of times now three times now so even though you've produced other movies as well. Can you remember what that was like, what the process for mm-hmm. you was like? I'd love for you to talk through that.
2: Yeah, sure. Well, the, the first, you know, real movie I made was a 17-minute short called Neighbours mm. with, with Gil Bellows. And that was an adaptation of three Raymond Carver short stories. So that was really my first drama in that, you know, I worked really closely with the phenomenal DP, Dennis Maloney and, uh, you know, we we did everything right. We had all the the crew that needed to be there, and you know, phenomenal cast. And I, I learned a bunch on that. That was a five day shoot. And uh, by the way, I also learned a lot from John Murphy, was the editor of Claude and Albert. I mean, we we spent a couple of weeks editing that film together, and you know, he was just so amazing, so solid, and I everything he said i found came true later on
0: what what was he said what can you remember what he said that would be useful because for me editing so important and learning and understanding that craft mm-hmm. it's just it makes you a better filmmaker i feel i think it's really important can you remember what, uh-huh. what he said well
2: my my instinct was to put everything in there you know everything that i'd filmed i thought was so beautiful and it just mm. had to be there and and i would yeah. say but oh but this is important that is important and so he really taught me the meaning of you know less is more and and he would show me, he'd say, well, look, look if we, because I also learned about the rhythm of the film. You know, if you put too much in there, it bogs it down. It, mm-hmm. it, it's slushy. And one, once a film sort of starts to roll, you want to keep it rolling and it, it picks up momentum. So the last thing you want to do is slow it down once it's going. So uh-huh. I... That took quite a while to learn, but he also said to me, he said, I think you might look back on this and say, this is one of the best films you ever made. And I said, no, no, no way. And he said, well, there's a lot of good stuff in here that I don't think you're aware of. So he said, you might find it's hard to make another film this good. And that, that was totally true. That was Mm -hmm. absolutely true for many reasons. But what was really neat about beautiful destroyer, which was that first feature is that Christopher Dora was the other director, but he was also the writer and the lead actor in it. And so I actually coached an actress and helped her with her audition reel, and she got got the part. And so that's how I met Chris, through her. Mm. And I said, Chris, you don't happen to... Need any, you know, need another director working on this film? I mean, what a crazy question. But he said, (laughs) actually, I do. He said, I do. He said, because I'm in about half the movie and I need someone to direct those scenes. So what and what was really fun about that movie was that not only was Chris just awesome to work with, but he really enjoyed sort of taking a producer role more than directing. So I even got to direct a fight scene and Mm a I mean, there was, I don't think it made it in the final movie, but they even hired, you know, the ropes for one of the fight scenes where when an actor gets hit, they fly up in the air. Yep, it was absolutely. just great. And I got to have, I got Kirk in that movie. He was in the scene. Mm-hmm. Kirk Kelly-Kahn, who's in Rainbow's End. Yes. And.
0: The great name. Yeah, it was. Super name, he has.
2: <laughs> you know, every every film's a learning experience and, You've got to roll with whatever's there.
0: That's what it's all about, isn't it? It's taking that and then moving forward with it. If you don't learn from the things you've just done, then it doesn't help yeah. you. And and it seems like you did because you then, you know, Rainbow's End was technically your next movie. It
2: was the third. There was one in between, which is called Mumu and the Three Witches, but they changed it to Mumu and the Three Sisters. It's on Amazon. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a kid action adventure that involves witches and cats and
0: magic spells which is brilliant so i suppose jen the moment for you when you feel like it's happening like tracy said there it was like okay yeah i'll get on a flight this might happen that might happen for you what was the process like there obviously you'd been working on this for a while now um can you remember that time of when you know this is actually happening this is moving forward and you know we are starting to get cast uh, talk us through that if you can remember
1: yeah uh, i think when i really started pinching myself was when i was packing enough clothes to be gone for a month <laughs> to mm-hmm. go to chicago where i was like okay this is actually happening i'm going to chicago we're actually filming it um, leaving my wife in the airport, it's just like okay, see you in a month. It was just like that's when it really started feeling real. And um, you know, we actually the pr- uh, production designer signed on off the bat, and she was doing a lot of the work preliminarily. And she had gotten in a car accident, and last mm-hmm. minute she said, "I can't do this," and she pulled out of the production. She's like, "I can't right. energetically handle this," and. I, had, I was in Chicago already. I got there maybe 10 days or a week early and Joe called me and he was like, so here's what just happened. Can you can you call your wife and see if she can do it because Jen's an artist? And I said, well, I can do it. I said, I'll do it. And I said, I'll be right there. And I literally hopped in an Uber and went over to set and until we found Samantha Merkel, who is our uh, credited production designer and she took over uh, right. days after, but until we found her and she got there, it was just like, oh my God, okay, let's do this to the set. Let's create this. Let's paint this wall this color. And it was just watching the set come together and watching the little nook of toys where Hannah and Jules were gonna mm-hmm. have their opening scene, like building all of those moments. Oh my God, it, it was like, I was taking pictures of myself with the set, like sending them to, you know, friends and family, just going, this is the first scene. This is where we're gonna be filming it. And it was just, it was completely magical. So for me, that's when it really kicked in.
0: How nice, how lovely. Tracy, when you when you first saw those sort of locations and stuff, do you suddenly start getting your ideas of how you, where you're going to put the camera? What's your process there? Have you already done your storyboards? Have you already done your shot list? Mm-hmm. Or do you come to set and go, right, now let me look and see? What's what? unpack that well, for
2: us. Well, I, I, I always storyboard everything at mm-hmm. home with using, you know, a, a layout of the, the room and... Or the location, but I, I don't necessarily do a shot list. But I kind of star some of the storyboards. You know, like this would be a great shot to get. And mm-hmm. one thing I did on set was I bring little people uh, or imaginary people, and I bring I sort of recreate the set, and then I use like a, a kind of a one of those big paper clips for the camera. Mm-hmm so that everybody can see what's going to happen. Because that that was really helpful a couple of times in the cafe when there were several people doing things at different times, you know, the actors, and just so everyone can get a visual of what it's going to be. But it wasn't really until it was Kevin, the DP, and I really talked about the shot list for the next day on the evening of the the current day, mm-hmm. and then I would go home that night and type it up and send it to Jessica, and she'd send it to everyone. Yes. But I had already done it first in my head, then with Kevin in the location. And, you know, it still got changed sometimes the next day. But Of
0: course. No, I think it's really important. I, I certainly did that on my first movie. I got little action figures, if you like. I went, I was in Bulgaria where we shot, and I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I need to go get some figures. How do I do this? How do I even find a shop that might sell these little yeah. figures? And then... Yeah, the same. I just put them in place and go, well, I'm going to have the camera come around this way. And then suddenly everyone, oh, okay, I know what you mean now. And I, yes, I love doing it's easier. that. Tracy, absolutely mm-hmm. right to do that, to show people. People go, ah. Sometimes when you're trying to describe it, it's all up in your head. It's, you know, it, It's like, oh, it makes sense up here, but you're not really articulating it right because there's so much going on and so many questions being asked. And sometimes you just show it, like either storyboards or with figures.
2: And there, it, it helps me too. You know, it, it's helpful to me too. And then I'm always, you know, whenever I'm watching movies, I'm always freezing the frame and watching how, you know, how they block something or how the camera's moving or, you know, when they get into back overs and stuff, how do they swing that? How did they get around? You know, I'm sure you must have, and Jennifer, you too, loads of favorite shots from movies that sometimes we'd be on set and I would think, oh, this is that shot I always wanted to do. I think it would work here. Do you think we can do it, Kevin? You know, is this one of those can we do it and he'd say "Yeah, i think maybe we could make that happen you know so
0: mm. no i think we 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 have to sort of steal from the best and make them our own i think that why not why would you not do that that's what everyone does right it's yeah we're just adapting someone's good work i think that's the highest form of flattery i suppose isn't it for them but mm-hmm. uh, yeah but it, d- during that time were you um you're still scripting you said you're still you're always kind of up, but that development process and maybe it was just before you even got to chicago that sort of writing together, working together as a team now, you know, now it's very real. We've got a director on board, the script's ready, but let's tweak it. What was that process like working together and, and any advice for working, you know, with a director or with a screenwriter?
1: For me, it was at first unnerving. And as it progressed, we found our rhythm. And I think that that's probably the most important step to reach is where you're both at a mutual, respect and honoring of the other half that you're working with and just yeah. being able to flow back and forth. I, like, I think to me, one of my favorite approaches is, okay, well, this is why I wrote it this way. So let me explain that. And then if you still want to change it, we'll figure it out. Because a lot of times I think when, when you're writing a script for years, there's a lot of things that aren't really maybe coming across or they're not going to come across until it's visual or in the editing process and coming in early, people can go, oh, cut this or get rid of that or change that line without realizing that it's connected to many other things. So it's just, it's just about a a mutual respect of each other. So I think Tracy and I really found our groove with that, especially being on set together. Um, I think that we learn to defer to the other with certain things, you know, like she was one of the only parents on set. So whenever there were any, you know, references that we needed with parenting, you know, she'd be first in line. And, you know, I I was the only I wasn't the only lesbian on set, but I was, you know, the lesbian writer. So whenever there was questions about that, like I had what I called a straight alarm. <laughs> so I'd be a <laughs> monitor. And if there was something happening, you know, with the, the actresses, I'd, I'd yell, you know, my straight alarm's going off and Tracy would, you know, we'd confer and we'd adjust. And, you know, I'd go talk to the actresses and say, OK, like a lesbian doesn't talk that way or move that way or try, try not Amazing. kissing her like she's your sister. So, <laughs> you know, we'd, we, but that was fun. That's where the fun lied. And we were yeah. able to to just really learn to bounce off of each other in a really productive way.
0: No, that's, that's incredible. Just on that, then would we all lead. It's, they they weren't gay. They're not lesbians. You're you're two, Oh
1: no, two. they're both straight. One's <sighs> married. One's engaged. Yeah. I
0: see. I didn't know that. See, that's great. I actually thought they were. So they played it so well. So you you both did obviously brilliantly to get to that stage. That's fascinating. How wonderful, Tracy, from your side then, working you know with a scriptwriter because I've done this and I've done the other side. I've done done both. How did you feel coming into something? It's always difficult sometimes as a director to come in, you you need to sort of not stamp your authority, but say what you'd like, because it's your vision, your world, but then you're also treading on toes at that point. It's a very delicate mm-hmm. place. It how, is. How mm-hmm. did you balance that?
2: Well, I, I mean, I firstly tried hard to, in a sense, honor Jennifer's vision mm. and, and Joe's too, because it was their story. It was Jennifer's script. And yeah, you know, I felt like a guest on on set. So I, just try to keep that in mind. But, you know, and at the end of the day, our goal was the same, was to tell this story of these characters and how. what was the best way to do that. So, but in reading the script, especially at the beginning, every now and then, there was a scene and I would just think to myself, well, how are we going to make this work? You know, practically speaking, how can we possibly Film this and keep it interesting. How can we mm-hmm. keep the ball in the air? Yes, and and keep the keep the story rolling. So that those were you know my underlying concerns, like all the time. And another one was even though we don't see the little boy except at the beginning,
0: mm-hmm.
2: where is he? Like in every scene, I I wanted to know where where is he? I, I felt like we had to account for him mm-hmm. so that uh, he, to keep his presence alive, but also just you know like. To keep people from asking, you know, those what we call refrigerator questions, you know, when mm. the movie's over and you're like going to, you know, get something out of the fridge and you think, no, wait a minute. Why did they do that? Why didn't so-and-so come and take the money or, you know, whatever it was? It, it, it's that scene from Thelma and Louise when, when Louise leaves all that money that her boyfriend just gave her with mm-hmm. Thelma yes. and the Brad Pitt character runs off with it. You know, why didn't she hang on to that money? that's a refrigerator question but anyway it, it's <laughs> needed as a plot point so anyway yeah those were my concerns just to keep, know know that we were going to keep the ball in the air keep the story the the momentum going and account for bow the whole time so you don't have to explain everything to everyone like you just have to as long as it's working fine we can we got it now let's move on to the next
1: Mm -hmm.
0: part you know what what was one of the main reasons uh, obviously child actors are always can be you know it's not necessarily easy but was that obviously a conscious choice to not really show the child at all was that something that you said from the beginning let's do it this way because it was bold and really interesting but i just wanted to to ask those questions
2: that that was jennifer's jennifer and joe's um decision and so i you know had to come to it like it it was an amazing challenge you know like Mm. wow how okay, this is what we have. How can we make this work? It brought a lot of interesting solutions, you know? Yes.
1: Yeah, very, very early on, right, when I was hired to write the script, um, I had rewatched Hitchcock's Rebecca for the 10th mm-hmm. time, which is sure. one of my favorite yep. movies. And yeah, I just love how Rebecca's essence is a character present throughout the entire film. And it struck such a chord in me that I just knew that's how we had to approach Rainbow's End and that... Bo wouldn't be seen so that we could truly home in on his effect on their relationship without having the audience start to develop their own ideas or their own biases based on, you know, their past with their parents or the way they were raised or, you know, having sympathy Mm -hmm. with this or that. It's just a pure here's his essence. Here's how he affects their relationship and who they are as people. And it just gives you a purity. And I just I knew it needed to be that way. And I'm really happy that I fought for it the whole way through.
0: Yeah. And it just, it certainly makes, because to the time you're watching it, you go, oh, I want to see the child, I want to see the child. But then I really enjoyed that we didn't, because therefore I was wanting to see the child. And therefore it worked because of the relationships and what was going on. It's, and I thought it was bold and really interesting. Jen, will you, do you mind giving our listeners a rundown of what the film's about? Really nice short little logline. And then I'll play the trailer.
1: Yes. So Rainbow's End is about a prominent lesbian couple back in the 90s, one of whom is a politician and she runs on the platform of acceptance. She and her partner, Jules, adopt a child who very soon they come to learn has behavioral issues. They see that his behavior is unacceptable, so it makes them challenge everything that they've stood for in the past.
0: We're ready, right?
2: Ready's for people who wait too long.
1: I don't know how Hannah thinks she has time to be a mother. Rainbow, Rainbow. perfect, don't
2: you think? Rainbow's cute. Two lesbians with a kid named Rainbow and a cat.
1: You're the modern-day, picture-perfect family. How's everything with Bo?
2: Harley, again, Bo tried to... Something's not right, Hannah. Bo's detached behavior does fit right in with my findings. He has an extra Y chromosome. Some research suggests that this extra chromosome may actually predispose boys to aggression.
1: Mayor Driver, what boy doesn't have a tendency toward aggression?
2: Is it still there? You're fire. What's in here, babe? Do you love any of it? All I ever wanted was to live with you and our family in a little apartment until we had enough money to afford that cabin. All of this! All of this was for you! My safe spot... was always us. Was?
0: It, it's a really nice trailer as well it's really well put together and it, it explains the film it explains everything thing about it um and let's uh let's talk about being on set then because Jen often writers aren't on set you know writers are you know thanks very much cheers for writing that take care w- what did you find that your process was uh, when you're there because sometimes you can feel like okay well what what what's my role here? What shall I do? So how did you fit in? How did you did you, did you just get stuck in and move things around and get involved? You know, it's an indie film at the end of the day. So what happened for you?
1: I can see why directors don't want writers on set. (laughs) I'm sure Tracy will attest to that. I think that we made it work, but I could totally understand if I was a director directing someone else's script, I would not want them anywhere near me. So I, I totally get it. But very early on when we started getting real about it and saying, okay, we have enough funding, this is all starting to happen, Joe was like, I want you on set. I want you to be the script supervisor, not knowing what that entailed. I was like, yes. And then I just learned everything about what it meant to be a script supervisor. So as we got closer, I found more and more places where I could play a more beneficial role. And I had talked to Joe about it. I asked Tracy um, if it was okay if I was on set and I showed up in Chicago, just kind of like, tell me what to do and I'll do it and anywhere right. I was needed. And so that's what I did. I just jumped in and I worked with the props department and production design. And I mean, everyone, I was working with the lighting and I just anywhere, anywhere, anyone needed me. I couldn't wait to, to jump in. And I learned so much from being on set and it's totally changed the way that I approach my scripts.
0: Isn't that amazing? It's like the first thing you sort of want to say to on any script writing course or whatever is If you're on set, you'll become a better writer. You'll certainly learn more about why your scripts aren't working or why they are working because you're on set and you go, oh, right, yeah. Well, they can't come through that door from there to there because there's no door or that character arc doesn't work now because you see it, don't you? It's it's an amazing thing as a script writer to be on set and see how it does or doesn't work.
1: Yeah, and it also gives you a better scope of where your time is invested wisely when you're writing a script Mm -hmm. and where you're wasting your time. And it's like if you're not adding to the visual representation of what's in your head on the page then don't waste time on it
0: Mm. could you give an example of that for 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 our listeners
1: yeah absolutely so i think that you could get really bogged down in the details of what you see like for example you could you could write an action line that says you know she walks in with her teacup with the tea bag you know hanging over the edge like that's a, Mm. a waste of your time yes it's in your head and it's visual and it's pretty but you're not writing a novel It's like, you know, she she scurries in, slamming the teacup down. Okay, that's visual. Now we also get an example of or a taste of what she's feeling or maybe what she's going through, what kind of energy she has, if you're not if you're not telling a visual story with your words, don't even bother wasting time on it.
0: Amazing. That's great. Thanks, Jennifer. Tracy, for you on set then, working with actors as well, and it's something that is can be daunting, it can be difficult. Here you've got amazing actors, you know, Sean Young is fantastic, Edward Asner, you know, and your leads, the two girls, absolutely delightful. How was it for you to, to, to jump in? you know, and work with actors on set. What's the process for you? That's
2: my favorite part of filmmaking is working with the actors. I have so much respect for actors and they're, they're sort of these magical beings, you know, who can turn into something else. They're just incredible. But, Mm. um, so my, my goal is always to, you know, create that safe space for them, um, make them feel as real, you know, comfortable as possible. And, Feel free to try different things that they don't just have to do it my way. What Sean Young, I was a little, I guess, a little intimidated and excited to meet her because I mean, I absolutely adore Blade Runner. And, you know, I was meeting a replicant, you
0: know. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> Is she so, real? Let's pull the skin off. <laughs> well, so,
2: you know, uh, so she came on set that night, you know, before and we, we got to chat and showed her around and everything. And, you know, I was just, thinking about it when I went home and I thought, God, you know, she, she's so experienced and she just knows everything I'm thinking. She knows everything that's going through my head. So the next morning when I first met her again, I said, you know, I said, Sean, are you psychic? And she just wow. laughed and laughed. She said, oh, you can feel it. Well, <laughs> like, Yes, I can <laughs> feel it. So, you know, she, you don't really even direct someone like Sean Young or Ed. They they are just, they're already in character. They know what to do. They know how to use the camera. It's, you know, it's just like, let's just, here's the key to the Ferrari and off you go. You know, there's nothing. But I loved uh, working with, you know, the Amanda and Janelle. They're just so dedicated and really fine actresses, both of them. Mm-hmm. And as we worked, they got to know each other better. The characters got to know each other better. And Uh, I felt like as the film went on, I did less and less directing, because I didn't need to, although every now and then somebody would come in and yeah, a lot of directing too is blocking and choosing those camera angles, so that the important moments of the scene pop out. That's really fun. I love I love the way that happens.
0: Yeah, it is. It's wonderful, isn't it? It, 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 it? As soon as the actors have settled in, you know, a week in, you're like, oh, great, now we can play. There's none of this, oh, what have I been before? What happened in, you know, 1996, mm-hmm. don't care. It's irrelevant now because that's all embedded and you're there and you can find the nuances within the scenes, which is an absolute delight mm-hmm. as a director to, to mm-hmm.
2: do. I was just going to say to feel the energy of a scene. And I and feel the energy build and you want it to build and uh, to know where it's going, like what what's ha- what's the what's the line in this scene that we need to really mm. show like and how are we going to work with the eye line, you know, in the screen direction, when can we change the screen direction and, wh- you know, what can we do to make the important parts pop that's
0: the goal, really. Yeah. So how did you go about d- getting the movie distributed then and out there? Because now you've shot it, you're happy, well, you know, you're in the edit process, you're again learning so much with the edit side of it. How then did you then move forward and get distribution? How did it happen for you?
1: Well, it was definitely that, that very... Was Joe. You, yeah, it was Joe. It was ahead, definitely Jennifer. very strange because of the pandemic. So we couldn't go mm. the normal route. Joe very quickly started looking into other routes and he came across Lesflix, which is a... Uh, lesbian and bisexual streaming service based in the UK. And the more he talked with them, he was like, this is the perfect pairing. And it just Mm. kept getting better the more he talked with them.
0: So good. What advice would you give to an upcoming, hardworking, intelligent filmmaker now who's wanting to make their first movie?
2: I would say to, you know, a lot of it's about raising the money to make the film, but I would say, choose the lowest budget script you can. Pick a small film that has few actors, so that you can really do a good job with a small, with something small. And even in a feature, yeah, yeah small, small is beautiful. That's what I would say. Make make a feature, but and and get the best people you can on the mm-hmm. job, and get at the best advice you can. So go to the best DP you can get. If you can find a, you know, a a very seasoned, like Dennis Maloney, who made Neighbors with me, I mean, he shot over 500 features. You know, he's in the the American Cinematographers Guild. Uh, You know, he, most of his early work was all done using, you know, real film. And he's just a master of lighting and you know, work with the masters if you can. And then if you can find someone who will let you hang around on set, shadow sets, Mm. you know, that's what Steven Spielberg did at the beginning. I think he just hung around and just watch what people are doing. But it's kind of like playing a musical instrument. If you try to play in the orchestra that's really above your level, you'll rise to that level so always try for the best never it's never good enough always yeah. try for the best that's, amazing. that's what i think but you know and then just know that it won't be perfect
0: i love that always yeah. play with the best orchestra that's fabulous i love that and from a screenwriting perspective jennifer what uh, advice could you give someone coming up now
1: i would say Keep it simple. Follow your heart always, no matter what, and believe that it can happen for you.
0: Great advice. It's so true, and it can, and it can. Um, this has been so lovely. Thank you so much, Jennifer Cooney, Tracy Wren. This has been a delight. Rainbow's End is available on Les Flicks now online. You can go watch it. Links will be in the show notes, as always. Um, where can people find you online if you've got a social media presence yourself that people can say, write in and say, well done? Have you got a Twitter following?
2: I'm in Twitter, Tracy Wren, and... I'm on Instagram, which is I think it's Tracy Wren Stories. Yeah, and I'm on Facebook at Tracy Wren and Tracy Ren Photography, because <laughs> I also do still photography. And I do have a website, but I, I'm working to build it up a little bit more.
1: My social media handle is Half Jack Snap and my website is Half Jack Generation after my production company
0: perfect i love it do go follow them there and support and go out there and make your indie film you can make it happen and if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well it is your duty to send the elevator back down we will see you next tuesday as always go out there and make your film be inspired by jennifer and tracy thank you so much girls for coming on this has been an absolute pleasure
2: thank you Jos. thank you so much
0: pleasure take care everyone all the best bye